Trigger warning, Death and Friends is not a podcast for the light of heart. Many dark and serious subjects will come up. Listener discretion is advised. <clears throat> Howdy, Angel here. This is Nash. Hello there. Today's episode, we talk about what I think is our most recent event to date. It was a little over a decade ago that the largest nuclear disaster since Chernobyl occurred off the coast of eastern Japan. The Fukushima nuclear disaster, a.k.a. the Fukushima Daiichi accident. We'll chat about Chernobyl at some point, but in the meantime, we would like to say that the cause of the Fukushima disaster does have some very recent and unfortunate modern parallels, as a 7.4 magnitude earthquake was recently hit Japan. We are so sorry, Japan. We also want to say that we like to have fun on the show and make light of history in regards to its relationship with death. This go-around is going to be one of our more serious episodes. We're going to try our best to break down a series of terrible luck, mismanagement, and government failures. That being said, there will be some laughs, and we're absolutely going to do what we do best. Make fun of those in power. Rich bastards. All right. Here we go. Death comes for us all. You might as well make it your friend. Your friend. With us on Hello, Skeleton Army. Angel here again. Hey, what's up? Long time no see. Oh, awesome. Nash is still here too. Nice. Indeed. Well, let's get into it. Nash, if you could pretty please, if you could, do me a favor. Yeah. Just a quick one. Little thing. Okay. Paint the picture. In order to understand exactly how we got here, we need a bit of background about Japan's relationship with two specific things. Earthquakes and nuclear power. Because Japan said, ¿Por qué no los dos? Sí, they sure did. So let's talk about earthquakes. With an average of 1,500 tremors a year, the Japanese are old vets in regards to earthquakes. The Fukushima incident is not the first disaster caused by Japan's location on the Pacific Ring of Fire, which contains between 850 and 1,000 volcanoes, which is about 850 and 1,000 too many volcanoes, if you ask me. Japan lies across three tectonic plates, which are the Pacific Plate under the Pacific Ocean and the Philippine Sea Plates. Yes. In 1923, the Great Kanto Earthquake hit Japan, killing 142,800 and leveling Tokyo. Japan nowadays has built anti-earthquake architecture using extended basements and reinforced foundations to make sure skyscrapers, and quite frankly any new building, are earthquake-proof. Which, quite frankly, is insanely impressive. For example, in Tokyo, where the Great Kanto Earthquake occurred... Around 87% of the buildings are in fact earthquake ready, which is way cooler than any other fancy tech that they are rightfully known for. The 2006 Honda Accord? Uh, yes. Their greatest invention. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In regards to nuclear power, though, that relationship, a little messy. In 1945, the United States drops atomic bombs on two major Japanese cities, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which kill over 300,000 people and affects millions. This is also largely seen as the end of World War II. Japan rebuilds and tries to get back on their feet, and the U.S. government, with military and political influence, smelling blood, presumably, talks to Japan post-war and says, Hey, uh, hey, you, you hear about this? This, uh, this thing? <laughs> Is that a glowing plutonium rod in your pocket, or are you happy to see me? <laughs> it's merely a decade after dropping the bomb, and the United States decides, Oh, <laughs> we don't oopsie, oops. Uh, so we're gonna give you more atomic energy, but this time it's to exploit, I mean, help you. It's to help you, it's to help you. And understandably, the Japanese are not about it. And then the US, of course, goes, 
Yeah, you are. You are about it. Let me hear you say it. Say you're about it. Say you're about it. So after a shit ton of propaganda and strong arm. Say you're about it. Japan is basically forced to say... We are, in fact, about it. So this is how nuclear power arrives in Japan. And over the next few decades, more and more nuclear power plants are built in Japan. Naturally, of course. Obviously, with the help of American companies. But they are all safe, and nothing bad ever had. What's that? You heard there was a problem with the plant? Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Definitely happened. No. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Huh. This is... This is a weird feeling. What? I don't like I don't like it. Now this this weird level of colonialism masking itself as capitalism. I mean we've we've talked about this kind of thing before, like a lot. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it's just eye opening when it comes in this color palette, this color scheme. What color scheme is that? Red, white, and blue. Bird noise. So let's talk about March eleventh, two thousand and eleven. Ah, that was twenty four. Jesus Christ, really? Okay. Okay. That hurts a lot. Okay. Um Okay, so March 11th, 2011, an earthquake registered a Category 9 on the Richter scale hits the seabed off the coast of Japan, which leads to a tsunami measuring 113 stories at its highest. That's 133 feet for Americans and 40.5 meters for literally anyone else. Thank you, Angel. The tsunami is traveling at over 400 miles an hour. There's only a 10-minute warning to residents along the coastline who've already been dealing with a six-minute long earthquake. That's how fast the tsunami forms. Now, the Fukushima power plant is on the coastline, presumably so workers had a nice view or easy access to water in case of an emergency situation, which, you know, is great. Yeah. Yeah. While the earthquake itself causes a power outage at the Fukushima power plant, the backup generators automatically kick in. So the coast is clear at this point and the plant is totally fine. And now there are puppies and ice cream. Yay! Yay! This is also the part where we should clarify that we are not nuclear scientists. Well, I am. Shut up, Holden Caulfield, bitch ass. But here is a quick breakdown. The nuclear reactor gets hot through fancy science magic that demands a highly skilled staff and highly efficient machinery to make sure, and to use a technical term here, that it doesn't get too caliente. Usually through a cooling system. Usually the heat from the fuel rods that are used with water that is pumped through the reactor causing a lot of steam that then turns turbines and boom. Unlimited power! Pity pity living space. <clears throat> well done. While the staff is very skilled, the highly efficient machinery part... Not not so much. Not, hang on. Let me check my notes here. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Not so much. You remember how everything is totally fine because the seawall protects the generators from the tsunami wave and the backup generator kicks on? I literally just said that. Literally, look, it's only a few lines up here. Scroll up. That doesn't help an already terrible situation. When the tremors hit, the first three reactors immediately shut down, which is what you want. But unfortunately, they're still really hot. The automatic generators that run on diesel start to pump in a cooling liquid to cool the rest of the reactor off and prevent disaster, which is also what you want. Now, the first reactor... We're going to name him Tom. Hello, Tom. Okay, so Tom has an automatic valve that opens when things get too hot, releasing steam so nothing explodes. Some functions begin to fail, but for the most part, the steam valve is still functional. We are good. 
10 minutes later. We are not good. Shit is going south really fast. Another 46-foot tsunami reaches the shoreline, crashes, and breaches the seawall, flooding four nuclear reactors in a large part of the plant, directly leading to the failure of the backup generators, very quickly making everything hot. That's right. Earthquakes, tsunamis, and power failures. Oh my. The seawall built to protect the plant is 19 feet high. The second tsunami wave is 46 feet high, which, according to my calculations, carry the four, uh, is much higher, to the tune of, like, more than double. So the plant begins to flood. Hey, guess where the backup generators are located? They're out in the basement. Hmm. Yep, yep, and one of them already started fucking up before the first wave even showed up. This is the part where I mentioned the not-so-efficient part of this plant. Fun facts with Nash. Not even a week before the earthquake hits, the Tokyo Electric Power Company, a.k.a. TEPCO, a.k.a. the people that run the Fukushima power plant, submit a report to the Nuclear Safety Agency. Their report is like, hey, what's up, girl? Look, our plant is vulnerable to tsunamis. That seawall really, really should be higher. But... We are just going to put that plan into the back burner for now because we think living above three tectonic plates isn't even that big of a deal, really. Jesus Christ. Probably fine. Fixing glaring maintenance issues and safety issues costs money, Angel. And I am talking small, single digits of a percentage, which is way too precious to spend. Rich bastards. This is not even the first time TEPCO is like, hey, this plant has problems. It hasn't tested any of the cautionary mechanical systems since the plant opened 40 years ago. And, according to reports from both current and former workers, it's not even well-maintained. The antiquated systems contradict a lot of the training that newer workers are skilled in, using outdated technology that makes it way too dependent on electric power. To continue the fun, safety precautions in regards to disaster prep in a plant off the coast of a country that deals with more earthquakes than literally any other place on Earth is almost non-existent. Just the sheer amount of negligence basically plagues the plant at the worst possible moment. They had, I don't know raised the seawall like they themselves reported to the nuclear safety agency maybe all of this could have been avoided so where are the plant workers left quite literally in the fucking dark um everything we've mentioned has happened within hours of each other starting at 2:46 p.m post the initial earthquake the waves had hit at 3:27 p.m with the waves that truly causes issues hitting less than 10 minutes later it wasn't until 7 p.m that day that the government starts to do that thing, you know, the thing? Hmm. You know the thing? You hear about this? You hear about the thing? Oh, you mean the fucking up. Yes. Yes, the fucking up. There are meetings, and hang on, meetings, and oh, look at that, more meetings about what to do and what to say to the people. America runs on business meetings. Even in other parts of the world, apparently. Within the hour of the initial earthquake, the Nuclear and Industrial Safety Commission brings safety countermeasures into the surrounding area. Believe it or not, in regards to the timeline, this is the part where things start to get real fucking bad. It is 7 p.m. that same day that the Prime Minister goes on TV and tells everyone that everything is just real groovy and rad, just peace and love, peace and love, mate, honestly. While also announcing a little precautionary, witty bitty little, little, little baby nuclear emergency. But making sure to say that everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Fine. It's fine. Jake. It's fine. Jen from Legal. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. 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 Kyle. What's the line? God damn it. 
The people of Fukushima, within two miles of the plant, are told to evacuate, but again, just as a precaution. Throughout the entire disaster, with the worst of it being in four days, the circle of impact grows and grows until the entire city is evacuated. Mind you, the area is already devastated by two fucking tsunamis. Quick fun fact here. It's the middle of the night when some of the scope of the disaster is starting to become clear to the government. TEPCO is ordered by the Prime Minister himself to manually vent Reactor 1, a.k.a. Tom. This plan is concocted after six hours of debate. Another six hours later, the Prime Minister gets frustrated as to why the reactor isn't vented yet. So he gets on a helicopter and flies to the plant himself. Remember Tom? He was doing a real good job when his valve released letting steam out, right? Remember that? Tom, good kid. The same steam that made the power? Yay, Tom. Well, Tom ran out of water. And there's no water being pumped in due to lack of power throughout the plant. And he's only getting hotter because there's no cooling liquid for him. No, Tom. Why? Why? Because Tom is quite literally melting. Tom trying out here trying to stop the world. So naturally, TEPCO begins to panic. Remember earlier when we said that at one point the Prime Minister flies over to see why the hell his orders aren't being followed? In any modern plant, not only would the backup generators be in a more secure place, but any manual release valves would be easy to make work. That's what you want. That's what you want. That's that's ideal, yeah. I think. But the only way to manually open the vent system in these reactors was to go into the reactor housing and the dark with temperatures over 100 degrees, endangering amounts of radiation, and manually open them with a multi-man team and MacGyver tools. Sounds simple enough. Safe, even. The safest. The reason the plan has taken so long to follow the Prime Minister's orders, porque? Because they literally didn't know how to. Oh. It takes them hours of reading old blueprints just to come up with a plan. So they send the Prime Minister back home, where he's forced to be like, it's fine, guys, it's fine. Even though he saw with his own eyes that was, in fact... Not fine. Not fine. Not fine. The second part of this equation is the fact that everybody in the plant knows that they're fucked if they don't figure out how to cool down the reactors, but the situation is getting worse. Tom's fuel rods make it to the bottom of his tank, and they're getting hot as hell. Hydrogen is building up, and it's no longer a matter of if, but when, Tom would explode. With all of this happening, and at some point you're probably wondering, who exactly is trying to make sure that the plant does not melt down? Originally, there was 800 workers on the first day of the disaster, the day the earthquake and tsunami struck. Workers deemed non-essential were withdrawn by the Tokyo Electric Power Company. A total of 750 workers left to the increased risk and consequently left around 50-ish. While this number grew and fluctuated throughout the ordeal, the press coined the term Fukushima 50. The majority of these workers were, in fact, older, putting themselves in danger as opposed to their much younger colleagues. Hundreds of workers stayed at the plant, braving high levels of radiation to bring the reactors under control. Some actually still work there today, and yet almost nothing has been heard from them. No awards, no newspaper articles, or TV interviews. We don't even know all their names. There was a dramatic film released in 2020 commemorating their heroic deeds. Unfortunately, the people of Japan do not see them this way. They see them as the problem. They work for TEPCO, and TEPCO causes a disaster. These people are the only ones who hold the line and make sure that the disaster isn't any worse, which really brings into light just how fucked the situation is. And that's not even mentioning Tim and Caleb. Reactor number three, who we're calling Caleb, loses power to their cooling system and is going through exactly the same thing that Tom is. So Caleb gets vented just like Tom. Luckily, some emergency power arrives and helps reactor two, named Tim, Tim Tom. calm down a bit, as Tim was on his way to blow as well. But somehow, he's managed to stay stable. Shaky, but stable. Like Nash after Zoe Kravitz posts on Instagram. Ugh. 
It's now March 12th. Luckily, with the emergency power, they think they might have everything under control. But at 3.36 p.m., the earth below them shakes. They think it might be just an aftershock. But unfortunately, it's Tom exploding. At this point, the government orders TEPCO to stop pumping seawater so as to not contaminate the area. These orders, of course, get ignored. Because at this point, TEPCO is like, well, if we didn't listen before... <laughs> seawater is pumped into the reactors mixed with boric acid to mitigate the nuclear reaction in, well, the reactors. Mind you, the workers are doing this in the dark, by hand, in insane temperatures. Let's talk about Caleb for a second. Now, Tim has the benefit of backup generators, and so did Tom. But Caleb... His cooling system just fails, straight up. Power or not, they just broken. And his fuel rods are also fully melted and have also hit the bottom of the tank. It is another day of the workers trying to control the temperatures in the plants, but unfortunately, by one minute past 11 a.m. on Monday, March 14th, Caleb decides, after the amount of hydrogen pressure that builds up, he's going to go ahead and explode too. His explosion damages the water system that gets to Tim, and by nightfall, Tim's cooling system is failing, and he is now melting down in an even worse manner than his brethren. The following day, March 15th, Caleb has another explosion, which causes Reactor 4. I've run out of names. We're going to call him Balthazar? Balthazar. He takes some damage. Jesus Christ, Caleb, it's not all about you. A fire begins inside Balthazar, and radiation levels, which have spiked but have come down after every explosion, begin to steadily rise. Luckily, by this point, the government gets some control over the situation and the city is evacuated. Fire trucks spray water over the fires and the reactors at the plants in an effort to cool them down. It takes almost an entire month of both local and military help to get the power restored. The reactors enter a cold shutdown state and they begin quarantine of the plant itself. Picante. Understandably, the government has gotten a lot of criticism due to their handling of this entire situation. They did great. They were like, it's probably fine. Just let's kind of keep evacuating larger parts of the population every few hours. Locals in the area, you know, reported the fact that a loud explosion would happen. And then out of the blue, minutes later, are told to leave their homes. So, 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 so it's fine. It's fine. Or maybe the fact that in the first day after the initial explosion, the nuclear commission held a press conference stating that the plant was completely fine. And while they were saying that, Tom was having a core meltdown and the crew was struggling to vent the reactor from building too much hydrogen. Or the fact that it was 2011 and the internet exists and everybody knew something was wrong, but the government insisted that everything was going to be great. And not to be the most obvious person in the world, but there was a literal Godzilla movie made about this. Angel, no. No. Okay, I don't mean the recent one with Big Monkey Fights Big Lizard. Talk about Shin Gojira, aka Shin Godzilla, released in 2016. That was more about the fact that the government moved way too fucking slow to stop the actual metaphor about the dangers of nuclear power. Meetings, press conferences, meetings. Did I mention meetings? Politicians all trying to both pass the buck and protect their wallets was the entire point of that movie. The fucking Godzilla monster barely shows up. It was not too dissimilar to what was happening in 2011. To this day, the government is rightfully criticized for not taking care of the situation on that day and bringing TEPCO to justice, even after TEPCO admitted that they fucked up. And worst of all, a lot of the people who once lived in Fukushima still reside in disaster sites around the city, with support falling onto private charities and social programs, with the area around the plant having a population of less than 1,200 people. The International Nuclear and Radiological Event Scale ended up labeling Fukushima at the same level as Chernobyl. In regards to the immediate death toll, more people were killed by the tsunami than of the nuclear reactor, that number being about 18,500. Only 10 people were either hurt or killed by the explosions at the plant. Over 2,000 people have died from the evacuation effort due to stress, the majority of them being older. 
There is a direct correlation with the rise of thyroid cancer in the community, and efforts to get TEPCO to court have been at a standstill for almost a decade now. TEPCO did not stop fucking up after the plant exploded. You think they learned their lesson, but less than a month later, they're caught straight up dumping contaminated water they used to cool the reactors into the ocean. Cool. The investigation found that levels of iodine-131 in seawater near the plant measured to be 7.5 million times the legal limit. Rebuilding has since begun, with all parts of the plant being cleaned up and the reactors being taken care of. But there's still a ton of work that needs to be done. And one single Pokemon playground will not solve everything. That's the thing, by the way. They build one playground that's Pokemon-themed. Like, right near the site, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not even that great. It's a fucking Chansey. Like, it's not even the coolest Pokemon. Wow. I don't know what that means, but sure. (laughs) It's a giant pink egg. Tough look. That's all it is. For our guy, Pink Egg. There's no, there's not even swings. I'm cracking up. <clears throat> and on that note, that's the episode. <laughs> a special thanks to you, our favorite listener. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rate and review would also be nice. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Gorilla Jokes. And I'm at It's Nashville. And of course, follow the podcast at Death and Friends Podcast. Want to become an official member of the Skeleton Army? Join us on Patreon. We use it to cover our sound guy's medical bills. In order to properly write medical facts, we expose Dom to all the illnesses and ways to die we talk about on the show. Uh, we actually gave Dom the week off this time around. That's the, the why is he stumbling around in the dark, sweating, sweating. Yeah, he had some spicy tamales and he can't find his glasses. Oh. Hey, speaking of Patreon, let's thank our listeners at the Brendan Fraser level. So check it out at patreon.com slash deathandfriends. Also, we have a website now, deathandfriends.org. That's .org. Join us as we make the entire internet worse. Hey, this episode was a whole lot of facts. So if we got anything wrong, please let us know. If you're on a Patreon, message us in our Discord. Message us in the Patreon itself. Hey, shoot a tweet at us, and then our intern will probably ignore it. But at the end of the day, death is tricky to talk about. So please remember. You are loved, you matter, and if you don't want to be your own friend, we will happily be your friend. And by the way, that's all of us. We will all be your friend, collectively, as a group. We are exceptionally annoying. We are legion, for we are many. (laughs) Until next time, Skeleton Army, stay spooky. Love you. Love you. This has been a Knavery Inc. podcast. Go to knaveryinc.com for more details. Executive produced by Jacob Duffy Halbleib. Audio design by Dominic Guanzon. Themes and transitions by Amy Doe. The fuck is a knave? Remember this is a comedy podcast? Don't use it in your research papers. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which kill over 300,000 people and affects millions. This is also largely seen as the end of World War II. <laughs> this is not the episode How are you for laughing shit? through that <laughs> dude people died <laughs> sorry we're in full goblin mode dumb right. yeah death thank you adam division daddy i don't know about that line <laughs> i think i wrote it but i don't know about you it. did in fact write it yeah Ugh. I want you to take the phrase thank you Adam Division Daddy and just put it anywhere else but right here. <laughs> yes. We I mean, definitely put it in the bloopers at yeah. the end. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, change Adam Division Daddy to <laughs> thank you nuclear mafioso. But I like to say daddy. Okay. okay. Oh, right. <laughs> I didn't like that at all. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh. You can put that in the bloopers too. 
Uh, anytime I'm reminded that Nash is a sexual being, it makes me feel good. <laughs> I mean, am I, though? <laughs> Nash, the sexy potato. All right. <laughs> Death? So this is how nuclear power arrives in Japan. That was probably too bright at the end, but it does that have an exclamation point. Let's do that again. In my, in my defense, it is written that way. <laughs> So this is how you nu- rewrote it. Like, what are you I didn't add an exclamation point. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Just do the whole thing. Go ahead. Death. Is that one Hang piece on. of paper? <laughs> no, no, it's a little manual for headphones. Oh. Hang on. Hang on. I lost where I was in the script. <laughs> <laughs> Death. And I am talking small, single digits of a percentage, which is way too precious to spend. Is this Arthur Gell? Yeah, is this Arthur Gell? <laughs> this Gel? is like exact... Did Arthur Gell run this plot? Well, the, well, the molasses thing is after Fukushima, so let's not reference Arthur Gell. <laughs> We're just... This whole thing is like, people don't know how to make stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this entire season is literally just like capitalistic negligence and also... <clears throat> that's, why, that's why it's so emo, because it's just being like these fucking capitalist assholes. No modern parallels. Death? 